Thank you so much for tuning in to this week's episode of the Hope Unlimited Church podcast. We're honored that you're here, and we pray that you find this message both encouraging and inspiring. you to take notes um, however you need to do that and lean into what I'm about to say this morning. So um, last week we kicked off this series called This Is Hope Unlimited and when we kicked off the series basically I said that this was going to be seven weeks of us really talking about who we are as a church, talking about what we believe and how we structure our lives and all of that because we're not supposed to be just a group of people who just come together and meet and then go home and then come back together. This is actually supposed to be something that transforms every part of your life. And so um, this morning I want you to lean into this with me. Go to Matthew 11. Last week... I laid out our mission, which is we live to give people the life they're made for, encountering God, living in community. And the way that you live out a mission is that you have to have what the early church would call rules of life or a rule of life or what we call today values, right? Because we're so corporate in the church. And the church has language for all of this. And is this called a rule of life? And so we have six things that we believe in at Hope Unlimited here that help us and mold us in the direction of living to give people the life that they were made for encountering God and living in community. I believe that if you practice these six things and uh, and put these six practices in your life on a regular basis, you will you will live in a way that we feel called to live, which is to give people the life that they were made for, encountering him and living in the community. Those six things, encounter, community, family, generosity, servant leadership, and rest. Um, I'm going to be talking about rest this morning, and yeah, amen. I'm going to be talking about rest this morning. It's probably the one subject that I think I could talk most about, maybe because it's maybe the, maybe the most I've read about, and so I may have enough information where I could just talk about it, but I want to talk about rest this morning, and if I had a title for today, it's just simply this. An invitation to rest. Matthew 11, 28 through 30. This is Jesus' invitation to us. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find 
rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. I want to read that one more time. just want to let this sink deep within us. Come to me all who labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you'll find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Jesus, let us find rest in you and only in you. Eliminate every distraction that we have that keeps our souls from actually getting rest in you. Give us a clear path for this life that we were made for. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Jansen, you man of God. This is uh, really an inopportune time for me to do this, but I'm just really feeling led by the Spirit this morning. Um, I have a word for Jansen, and I feel like I'm supposed to share it in front of everybody. And so it's very rare that I do that. I usually go to people after service, but um, I heard a sermon this week and I was reminded of all the really talented people that we have here at Hope Unlimited. And is anybody familiar with the story when the Queen of Sheba visits Solomon? You're familiar with that story. And when the queen of Sheba visits Solomon, I'm just going to, I know that what the scripture says, so I'm not going to try to read it. Um, when the queen of Sheba visits Solomon, she goes in and she says, she looks at everything that Solomon had built. And he had, this, he had built a temple to God. It was what David said that he wanted to do. David said, woke up one day and said, I'm going to build God a house because I live in something nicer than he does, so I'm going to build him a house. And God actually responded, no, you won't build me a house, but your, your son will. And I feel like that there's two things. I feel like, and I don't, I mean, your dad may watch this, you may show it to him or whatever, but I feel like that there's something in your family generationally that your dad may have felt it once, like I'm going to build God a house, but I feel like the Lord is saying, no, his son will. And I feel like that you are an essential part of building this house. You are an essential part of building what we have here. And I want you to know that God sees all of the things that everybody else doesn't see. And I think one of the things, too, that I'm reminded of is the Queen of Sheba, she goes into the house of Solomon, and it says that she looked at how the men were smiling, and she looked at uh, the, the architecture, and she looked at the stairs, and she literally looks up, and she says, there's a God in Israel. She hadn't even been to the Holy of Holies yet, but the way that the people who built that temple built it, people looked at them and said, there is a God in Israel. And I feel like that the Lord is going to reward you sooner rather than later, not for what you do, but for how you do it. With a good attitude, with excellence, with dedication, you show up early, you stay late, you do things, you go above and beyond. 
And I want to let you know that people look at your life and whether they voice it out of their lips or not, they say that there is a God in Israel because of the things that you do and they don't even know that you've done this. And so everybody stretch your hands towards Jansen this morning. Father, we thank you for Jansen. We thank you he's at Hope Unlimited and not anywhere else in the world. Father, never let him leave. And Father, give him a grace to build your house even more than he already does. In Jesus' name, amen. Everybody give it up for Jansen this morning. Dr. J. Um, well, I was flipping through my Bible. You know, when you get like a, start using like a, a newer Bible and you don't know where everything is because it's not where it was in your old Bible and it's just frustrating. It's just, this is not right. Um, anyways, I want to break down Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 through 30 for us really quickly. Around the subject of this, an invitation to rest. Can everybody say this morning, say, say an invitation. Come on, say it like you mean it. Say an invitation to rest. The first thing that Jesus says that we have to do if we want to rest is we have to come to him. If you are tired, Jesus is calling this is specifically, specifically what he was, he, was, he was targeting a specific group of people. He said those people who were tired, those people who are carrying heavy burdens for whatever reason, those people, I want you to come to me so that I can give you rest. Right? You with me this morning? The second thing that he says to do is he says, I want you to look at my way of life. I want you to learn from me. I am gentle and I'm lowly in heart. And you will find rest for your souls. So he says we have to go to him first. We have to learn from him. And the last thing that he tells us to do is to take upon his yoke. For it's easy. And it's light. I'm going to tell you why I think that the church is in a, a place now where we've never been before. We're stricken with every single mental health issue that you could have. We're tired. We're burnt out. We don't know where to go. We don't know what to do. Everything is hard. Everything is tough. Even sometimes navigating through life itself is tough. And that is true. There's nothing that's not true about that. But there is, I have found this to be true in my own life. This invitation from Jesus in Matthew chapter 11 is not what I think that we have heard in the church when we want to deal with something that is making us tired. We think if we just come to Jesus and give our worries, our anxiety, our depression, our whatever to Jesus, then he just takes it. 
It's very clear that that's not how it works. He is very clear that that's not the way that it works. This is what Jesus says, come to me and I'll give you rest. Right? You can rest in the presence of God. You can feel easy in the presence of God. But Jesus calls us to an even deeper place of following him more than just coming to him Sunday, Wednesday, whenever in the time of prayer to get this moment of rest. He calls us into a way of life. He says, come to me, all who are tired, and I'm going to give you rest. And then he says this, learn from me. Come a little closer. Don't just come to me, but learn from me while you're around me. For I am gentle. I have a way of life that you need if you want to live in this place of rest. There is a way of life that Jesus lives that I'm afraid that we are <coughs> not only not living, but I'm afraid that we are afraid of it. I'm afraid that we are afraid to live this life that Jesus calls us to live. I think we're afraid of silence. I think we're afraid of the quiet. I think we're afraid of making hardcore life adjustments, stopping side hustles, right? I know people who side hustle, actually it's not even side hustles, but I know people who, who side hustle so much that my God, and they're so tired all the time, and they're like, I just don't understand why I'm so tired. It's like, Really? You got three jobs, and you'd never rest. There was a way of life that Jesus went about. You know, Jesus didn't have side hustles. He was just God. Right? Didn't need any money. <laughs> so, I'm joking. He was a carpenter. <laughs> but he didn't have side hustles. He worked very hard. He did everything really well. He worked, and then he rested. Right? You know, this is even a pattern that we get from God in the beginning. And it also is a pattern from God that lets you know that work is not bad. Right? Work is good. In the beginning, God did not curse work. He cursed the ground. Work is good. In the beginning, we see how this starts. And it starts with a garden. And then in the end, when Jesus comes to redeem all things, it ends with a holy city. Right? That means that our work between the garden and the holy city has to be valuable. Because God is using you to build this city. Right? So your work is valuable, but there is a way of life that you have to approach work with. Can I just... Go ahead and tell you, nobody was made to work more than 40 hours a week. And some people call that lazy, right? Some people call that lazy. That's fine. You're tired, and I'm not. (laughs) 
And I have everything I need, too. I, there are some people, sometimes they're like, man, I just, man, I just work 70 hours a week. It's like, all right, stop. <laughs> I would suggest stopping doing that. Right? There is a way of life that Jesus had, lowly and gentle in heart, and he asked us to learn this way and after he asks us to learn this way, he then says this. He says, take upon my yoke. After we learn the ways of God, after we learn the ways of Jesus and how to navigate life to live from a place of rest, after we learn that, there is a deeper place that God even calls you to. He doesn't just call you to experience rest in moments. He calls you to take on his life. Are you with me this morning? He, he doesn't just call you to experience rest here and rest here and rest here and rest here. And I work here and I work here and then I rest and then I work again and work, work, rest, rest, work. No, that's not what he calls you to. He says, take upon my yoke. Do you know what that is? They would yoke two oxen together so that they could run at the same pace. Jesus don't, doesn't just call you to experience momentary rest. He doesn't just call you to experience learning a way of life that can make you more restful. Both of those things are good. But the invitation that Jesus really calls you to is to take upon his yoke. It's to walk with him. It's to walk at his pace. There's a book called A Three Mile an Hour God. A Three Mile an Hour God. And it's because that's the average pace that a human walks at. I'm below average, proudly. I'm not walking at three miles an hour. You ever put it on three on the treadmill, it's too fast. We're about to be running. Ain't no sense in that. It's ridiculous. If I'm trying to increase my heart rate, I will walk at three miles an hour. But other than that, we're, we're sitting at a good two, okay? So I disagree that he's a three-mile-an-hour God. I feel like he's more two, or maybe I'm just slow, but whatever. But anyways, Jesus walks at a certain pace, and we are called to walk with him in that pace. We are not just called to follow Jesus and learn his ways. We are called to be one with him. We are not just called to put things into practice so that we get a certain way of life. We are supposed to get the life of Jesus. You with me this morning? We are supposed to get the life of Jesus. It's not a certain thing or goal or whatever that we're going to, but we're supposed to get the life of Jesus. And I believe that the reason that Jesus was able to give people rest who were tired was because he lived from that place with God. I'm going to say this, well, this is the last week I'm preaching in this series. I'm going to say this this morning, and I may say it again this morning, but you might hear it from other people over this series, but you cannot give people a way of life that you are not living. You can't. 
You cannot introduce people to a Jesus that you don't even really know. You may know some of his ways, but you're not yoked together with him. Right? And so I really want to talk about what, number one, restlessness looks like. And then I want to talk about what a restful heart looks like. Okay? So signs of a restless heart. You ready? Are you ready? Amen. Signs of a restless heart. Number one, you don't take a Sabbath. You don't ever stop. The number one sign of a heart that is restless is that you work all the time. You never stop. Here's the thing. You are supposed to, every week, practice a Sabbath. You don't have to practice this religiously. We have got to get away from Everything that was under the law is binding and everything in the New Testament is freeing for us from everything that was binding in the Old Testament under the law. It's just stupid. It's just dumb. You don't go and murder people. That was a binding law. Right? There are things that you shouldn't do, but the Sabbath is supposed to be a way of life in God. Jesus practiced a Sabbath. And I'm going to talk a little bit more about what that means, but Jesus stopped. God took a day out of the week to cease from work. You probably should consider it. You probably should think about it. I heard it said like this before. You don't have to practice the Sabbath as religion, but you should religiously practice the Sabbath. You don't have to practice the Sabbath as religion, but you should religiously practice the Sabbath. When you take a Sabbath, you need to do what your heart and soul needs for refreshing, for joy, for delight. For refreshing and joy and delight. Laying around... And watching Netflix and eating Cheetos is not good for your soul. It's not good for your soul. Most of the time, do you mean to tell you why we you mean to tell you why we do that on our Sabbath? It's because we don't practice one regularly. We are being forced into a place of literal almost 24 hours of being paralyzed. Listen, you are going to stop one way or the other. And most of the time, this is what church people do. They don't ever practice Sabbath. They, get, they use this terminology, I'm burnt out, and then they blame it on the church. Can't serve no more, burn out. From what? Now, some people say that they're burnt out sometimes, and I'm just like, I don't believe you. <laughs> I don't believe you. Some people say that they burnt, they're burnt out, and I do believe them. Burnout is a result 
from continually not practicing a Sabbath over a period of time. That's what it's a result of. It's not that church work is too hard. Your job is harder than this. Sarah and David are laughing back there, and it's just getting to me. It's not that church work is too hard. Really what it is, is that this following Jesus really isn't that high on your priority list. Taking upon his yoke isn't really that important to you. Coming to him and experiencing momentary times of rest is, though. Or learning some of his ways, that's important to you. So that you can wear the Christian badge, right? But it's not about just coming to him and it's not about learning his ways. It's about taking on his life. John 14 says this. He is one in me. He is one with the Father. We are one together. Following Jesus is not about just learning some principles to make your life better. And it's not about just coming to receive this momentary time in worship where you can receive rest. It is about learning how to live every day with God in you. It's about listening to the voice that's within you. Not all of them, though. <laughs> somebody told me that one time. They're like, I heard a voice within me. And then they said it told them to do something really stupid. And I was just like, that ain't God. Yeah, that ain't God. Ain't no way. Listen, you're either going you're, you're gonna to stop one way or the other. You're going to intentionally practice Sabbath to stoke the fire of passion that you have in your relationship with Jesus. Or you are going to take time when you are burnt out. You're going to stop either way. And one of them is a lot worse than the other. Right? I've never, I have, this is the God's honest truth. I have never, ever in my life, ever heard someone tell me that they practice a Sabbath weekly and then also say that they are burnt out. I have never heard it. I have never once heard it. Ever. The second thing that you can be sure to equate with a restless heart is you don't have any daily devotion to Jesus. It's not a real devotional life. Right? Does daily devotion to Jesus fix everything? No. It doesn't. I'm not supposed to say that, am I? Does it fix everything? No. It doesn't. Some of the most devoted people that I know in the world still have issues. I'm serious. Some of the people that I know that actually love God the most still have problems. So does it fix everything? No. What daily devotion does, though, is it wakes you up to new mercy every morning. It wakes you up to new mercy every morning. It wakes you up to a new beginning with Jesus every day. 
The old things pass away and the new comes every morning. That's what daily devotion to Jesus is even about. It's about being waking up and covered in his mercy and living a life out of response to that. That's what daily devotion to Jesus is. Listen, daily devotion to God does not have to be extravagant. It just has to be consistent. It does not have to be extravagant. It just has to be consistent. One of the reasons why I believe not just this church, but people in general struggle with a daily devotion a daily devotion to God is because they believe that they're separated from God because of their issues. How are you? Here's just a really practical question. How are you separated from an omnipresent God? You can't be. Well, brother, what if I sin? Well, is he omni does he change now because you've sinned? He's no longer omnipresent because you sinned. So the nature of God changed because you sinned. False. It's crazy. It's craziness, right? I, I alluded to this earlier, but this is, some, this is some of the reason why we don't have a daily devotion. We don't have a life with God. We do not believe this verse. This, this is Jesus in John 14. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you Yet a little while, and the world will see me no more. But you will see me. Because I live, you will also live. Listen to this. In that day, you will know that I am in my Father. Listen to this. In that day, you will know that I am in my Father. And you are in me, and I am in you. You cannot run away from a God who lives inside of you. You cannot hide from a God who lives within you. So if your day sucked yesterday, might as well wake up and talk to him about it. If you sinned, might as well talk to him about it because he, he's not leaving you. This is his promise to humanity. Here's what I know about the promises of God. He's faithful with those. And he promised that he was going to be in his father and we were going to be in him and he was going to be in us. And because of that, there is no reason why you don't have daily devotion to Jesus other than you think that you're separated from him for some reason. I was actually texting with Kelby about this a while back. Maybe, I'm not going to tell you what I think the first biggest heresy of uh, the 24 or really the church is ever. But the second biggest heresy is probably Calvinism. And then the third biggest heresy, <laughs> the third biggest heresy is that we have taught you that you are separated from God. That is contrary to the very nature of who He is. God is, God came to be with us so that he could live in us. George MacDonald says it like this. He said, The Son of God became the Son of Man so that the sons of men might become the sons of God. What does he mean by that? 
Jesus subjected himself to take on our nature. And then after that, what happened in all of that is that we have this exchange with him. He took upon our nature so that you could take upon his nature. And the only way that you take upon his nature is that you live with an awareness that he lives in you. You cannot take upon the nature of God if you don't think that he lives within you. There is really no grace to take upon the nature of God if you're not aware that he lives in you. Because if you are doing this out of following a set of rules, then that's self-righteousness. That's not letting God transform you. That's just self-righteousness. You can't run away from a God who lives within. Next thing of a restless heart. Last thing of a restless heart, and then we're going to get into what does a heart that has found rest look like, and then Jansen, you can come up on stage. Listen, last thing, you isolate yourself. Restless hearts are isolated hearts. Restless hearts are isolated hearts. You need people to help you navigate uncertainty. Listen, be friends with everyone, be kind to everyone, be an ear from ev- for everyone, but know the people in your life who you can open your mouth to about issues. I'm going to say it again. Be friends with everyone. Actually, let me say it like this. Be friendly with everyone. Be kind to everyone. Be an ear for everyone to listen to. But know the friends and the people in your life who know Jesus in a way that when your heart is unsettled, they can help you settle it. You cannot listen to this. Listen, I'm telling you, if you, if you allow these voices into your life, you will forever have an unsettled heart. Listen, you cannot let voices that are unsettled in their knowing of who God is try to settle yours. You cannot let voices that are unsettled within their own hearts speak into your heart and think that it's going to settle it. Right? You can't. This is what, this is what Song of Solomon chapter 1 is all about. Song of Solomon chapter 1. The lady says... Don't look upon me because my skin has been burnt. Because I've spent time tending to my brother's vineyards. And my brothers are angry with me. Because of the way that I look and I've tended to their vineyards. But I have forsaken the vineyard within. I have forsaken dealing with all of the stuff going on in me. And I've tended to everybody else's going on around me. And now this in here is out of control. That happens a lot, right? It specifically happens with people who are really broken. Because if they believe that they can fix someone else, then that will fix them. And it won't. It won't. So what does a heart that has found rest look like? Really quick. Number one, it looks like a non-anxious presence. When you walk into a room, is it calming?
when you walk into a room, do people like shrink back because you're so spastic and all over the place and your heart is restless so it's looking for attention in everywhere that it can get it and the first people that give it to you it just latches on right is it calming when you walk into a room or are people like oh god they're here do you bring do you bring a sense of stability to places people with a restful heart bring stability into unstable environments they bring stability into unstable environments listen all other forms of rest that you will get apart from Jesus are just a temporary fix they are not the rest that you are made for it is not the yoke of Jesus and that is not what you're made for Taking upon the yoke of Jesus means that you're committed to walk at his pace and you're committed to being in step with him. Listen, you have to walk at his pace and in his ways if you want his life. You have to walk at his pace and in his ways if you want his life. Number one, a restful heart looks like a non-anxious presence. The next thing that a restful heart looks like is that it's free from the bondage of performance. A restful heart is free from the bondage of performance. You do not feel a need to perform for other people when you're resting in God. You just don't. When you can see a need to perform you can always be sure on the other side of that within yourself and in with other people that their heart is unsettled. When you see people who have a need to perform, you can be sure on the other side of that need is a heart that is unsettled and restless. Because the only reason that you would need to perform is to get affirmation from someone. And that temporary affirmation that you get from whoever you get it from or whatever you get it from will give you this momentary dose of dopamine in your brain and you'll think, oh, I'm restful now. And then when that goes away, it's gone. If you don't learn to live this life in God, rest will never be a thing for you. It'll never be a thing for you. And listen, if you don't learn to live this life, you can't give it to other people. You can't give it to other people. You do not have to perform if you're resting in God. And if you do feel a need to perform, I'm just going to set you free in this moment. You're going to kill yourself. You're going to kill yourself trying to become something that God never asked you to be. And being a person that, never, that God never asked you to be. If you feel a need to perform, you will kill yourself. You will destroy 
the image of God that he wants to bring forth in your life in the world if you try to be someone else. Some people kill themselves for success. Success, in my opinion, has to be redefined. A successful life is not one with a bunch of money and cars and fame and friends and popularity and likes and tweets and retweets and likes. uh, You're going viral and all of that stuff. I have, listen, this is just an observation I'm going to make, and I'm not ripping off on social media this morning, but I've never met someone, I've never met someone that that is where they got the majority of their affirmations from and they were also restful. Never met someone like that, right? Listen, they don't sweat the small stuff. Come on up. When you take your hands off of your life, your work, your ministry, whatever God has called you to be, when you take your hands off of it, you communicate trust to God and you realize that the small things that you were always worried about aren't really that big of a deal. Stand to your feet with me this morning. You can reach a level of maturity in God where you do not sweat the things that you are out of control of. Most people, most times, when they are overwhelmed with worry, anxiousness, whatever, it's because that they are trying to worry about something or control a situation that is actually out of their control. This does not mean that you're not intentional. It just means you understand that you have to take your hands off things. That it's good for you to stop. If you want a restful heart, you're going to have to learn how to stop. You're going to have to learn how to stop. Listen, last thing. A restful heart looks like one that's fully given to Jesus. It looks like one that's fully given to Jesus. I'm going to ask you a couple questions in this moment. And I want you to answer this very plainly with yourself. There's no reason to hide these answers. It's not like you're telling everybody. You're just getting real with yourself. If you can't be honest with yourself over the next few minutes, you can expect to continue to live a life where you are just restless. So I said, Jesus' call to us is an invitation into a life of rest. And he does that in three ways. He calls us to come to him initially so that we can give him rest. 
He calls us then to look at his life and practice his ways. And then he calls us to take upon his yoke, to walk in pace with him, to walk right next to him. Not just to be someone that you come and you receive this moment of rest. Or not just when you, you think you got these ways now and now you're going to implement these ways of life and that's going to give you rest. It won't. The only way to ever experience true rest in God is that you take upon His yoke. Let me just ask you this. Where are you? Where are you? Are you someone that just comes and gets a touch that's restful, that makes me feel good? I can now go back to work and then I'm going to have to come back and get a touch again because I'm going to be tired and laid down and heavy laden again. And I know that I can come to God because God loves me and he's going to give me rest if I come because that's who he is. Are you the person that's like, oh yeah, well, like I do these things that Jesus says for me to do. And so like, not only do I come to church when I'm tired and get a touch from God or my prayer closet or wherever I go to get a touch from God, not only do I do that, but I also, I do a couple things that Jesus says to do. It's like, okay, that's going to give you rest. No, he takes it deeper. And he says, you can do those things, but you've got to learn to take upon my yoke. Because the reason that you stay so tired and restless is because you've done the first two things, but you've never taken upon the yoke of Jesus. His yoke is easy. And his burden is light. And if you are heavy and drained and exhausted and frustrated and hate your job and hate everyone and terrible to be around all the time, you need to take upon the yoke of Jesus. So this morning, I'm going to pray for us that we would be a group of people that do that. They're going to worship this morning. You can stay as long as you need to get upon in this place to take upon the yoke of Jesus. There's going to be a couple people that come forward that will be more than happy to pray with you this morning. But listen, do not leave this place and not make an exchange with Him. Your ways for His ways. Your life for His life. I want you to bow your heads this morning. I just want you to close your eyes. I want you to lift your hands to Jesus in this moment. Jesus, this morning, this is more than just about your ways. This is about your life. Father, this morning, I pray that we would not just be a people who practice your ways, but we take upon your way of life. Father, I pray that we would take upon your yoke this morning. We would take upon the yoke of Jesus. It would not be hard. It would not be stressful. But it will be exactly what you said it is. It will be easy. And it will be light. Father, we make that exchange this morning. We make that exchange this morning. To not just come to you and get a touch from you to get a moment of rest to not just look at your life and practice a few things but father this morning we make the exchange 
to take off this pace of life that we're moving at. The yoke, whatever we're yoked to, we, we take off our yoke and we take upon yours. Father, I ask that you would put your yoke upon us this morning. I ask that you would put your yoke upon us this morning. Your ways are easy. Your burden is light. Father, we love you and we thank you today for who you are and what you're doing in us. In Jesus' name.